Joel Karam from Ezekiel Rain is here with us. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, so I'd love to start with, I had a chance because we've known each other for a long time. I got a front row seat to this, but I know this is new for Christy and mm-hmm. a lot of other people as well. Take me back to when this whole Ezekiel Rain thing started. You and another family were just, you're living your lives here in America, a, a lot of comfortable things. And why in the world would you leave all of that? Well, uh, it kind of started for both of our families in different ways, but the Lord uh, put us on this uh, this intersecting trajectory, I guess. And and so I, I won't speak for the Wessels family. Uh, Kel- Parrish and Kelly Wessels are our co-founders, and, and uh, they work with us in Thailand full-time. Um, but for our family, it was just a, a long process, beginning with the fact that I was born and raised in Thailand as the son of missionaries. Um, and the Lord began to do some things in my heart, even at an early age, that didn't really make sense to me uh, until this season where he began to call us into this ministry uh, with Ezekiel Rain. but just began to hear more about this issue of human trafficking and specifically how it impacted the nation of Thailand uh, through uh, a man that was visiting, a, a kind of an itinerant pastor that was uh, visiting and sharing some of the messages behind that. And our hearts were moved, and we began to try to get involved in that. Uh, long story short, we realized that both of our families were headed in the same direction and said, let's join forces and let's do this together. And that was sort of the birthing of Ezekiel Rain. We began to meet regularly, pray, and just seek the Lord and see what, what it was that he had for us. Mm. Mm. So for somebody who's never heard about Ezekiel Rain before, uh, obviously the heartbeat of it is to, to step into what's been going on in the darkness of human trafficking. Mm-hmm. What do you guys do and how? It's such a big issue, such a prevalent thing. It's kind of like, how do you how do you even move the needle on? I, mean, I think for a lot of us, we hear some of these statistics or you hear the stories and you're just like, is this ever going to change? Yeah. But, but what's happening there? Well, <clears throat> I think there's, there's different organizations focused on different aspects of trafficking. And for us, uh, the way we put it in kind of a nutshell is we fight trafficking by healing the broken in Thailand. And so... Uh, we're, we're heavily, our emphasis is heavily on, on restoration and prevention. And for uh, the prevention side is particularly challenging. And there are very few organizations, I think, that are, are effectively engaging on that side of the anti-trafficking effort, so to speak. Uh, lots of search and rescue, lots of awareness campaigns. Um, but I think what we've discovered in the process of being over there and even in the season where God was calling us into this is that we want to express this in a healing, a holistic way. We want to address this at the root cause of the issue as much as we possibly can to, yes, deal with the consequences of trafficking, but to try to get uh, at a very systemic level to the cause of it and to do what it is God's calling us to do at that place that helps prevent trafficking from ever happening to those that are vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And so for us, there's really five different things that we do in, in every program, every project. We strengthen families because it's the, it's the building block of society. Um, we, uh, we heal trauma wounds for those that have come out of trafficking or for those who have been victims of uh, or survivors of sexual abuse uh, in in certain scenarios, we'll also accept those kinds of cases as well. We fight pornography. We believe that's really key and central to this issue of human trafficking. 
Uh, we raise up leaders. We want to raise up people that are catalysts that take the message of healing and wholeness uh, and take it into their communities that live it out in their own families. And then uh, our final, uh, you know, in the fi- if you're looking at it like five fingers is we pray. Um, and we pray, we say that last, but it actually comes first for us. We, we believe that we're to fight this battle in the place of prayer before we ever engage uh, in the physical acts of justice that we are, are, are being called to engage in. And that it's really God's it's really God's purpose. It's really his justice that we're asking to come quickly. And we're asking to be made manifest in the lives of those people who are still trapped in this or those families that are vulnerable, that, that are not resilient, mm-hmm. that don't have the, the building blocks necessary to, be, uh, to protect their children, to protect their loved ones. So wow. someone who has just come out of human trafficking, a victim that has been rescued— like on a practical level, what does that look like? What you guys do? Do you provide um, the counseling? Do you provide housing? What What does that look like? In most scenarios, we found uh, from the years that we've been there that we can, uh, they can actually be in the family context of some sort, whether that's with the grandparents, whether that's with, uh, you know, their their direct, you know, my mom, dad, brothers and sisters, whatever the case may be. But we work as hard as we can to keep them in their families and go to them and provide the counseling and the the healing resources that they need, the process that we want to take them through in the context that they're in whenever possible. If not, in, in a few cases, in, in, there's a, a need for uh, residential care, but we try to make that a last resort as possible because it's very difficult. Not very many organizations have truly been successful taking a child out uh, of their the context of their family and their community, going through a process of restoration mm. and being able to effectively reintegrate them back in again in a, in a successful way. Mm. And so we feel like it's important for the community to understand as well, how do we support this survivor and how does that survivor become a catalyst? How do their family members become catalysts to help uh, lead out in their communities? What makes us resilient? What helps protect us? Mm-hmm. from uh, the vulnerability of human trafficking. Mm. I love that. And I think it just even is a testament to how powerful our families and the community around us, how relationally built we are. Yeah. Um, but also I uh, just wanted, I was just curious if there is a specific story or experience of someone who's come out of that, or you've just seen their life transform in a healing way that just stands out to you. Yeah. Um, well, there's so many of them. Um, and uh, in there, there's cases where we have, uh, we have been able to produce resources. I'll, I'll just, I'll tell this one real quickly. We've, we've, we've just come out with a series of books for children. And the intent is essentially to help parents be able to effectively walk their kids through some of these issues like pornography, good touch, bad touch, uh, healthy sexuality, books that for children do not exist in, country, in, in Thailand right now. So they're written by Thais for Thais. And in our case, written by our staff who are actually survivors of some of these things to begin with. We have a pornography book written by somebody who had an addiction to to pornography and went through our program, received the healing and the wholeness that they needed, Mm. and then turned around, became staff member and wrote the book, illustrated uh, the illustration is all all done in-house as well. Uh, We're working on on a process of getting those published, but... The demand is super high as we've kind of begun to sort of test the waters. People are going, we need something like this so that parents have 
the, the, the tools and the language to be able to communicate some of these important topics to their children to help pr protect them in the long term. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, there, there's also so many stories of that. We, we have a project, uh, a program we call Resilient Families, and that is really an 18-month, sort of this intensive 18-month uh, process that we go through with families that sign up for this, where uh, they're really invested in these five different core areas. And in those in those areas, um, we uh, are really working on holistic wellness. Uh, this it's, an, it's a mentorship program. It's economic solutions, uh, training programs that help fortify them as families. And so many situations where they're basically the ostracized, uh, you know, the worst family in the village. And actually, in one case, the village headman had asked them, we want you to move to the outside of this village. We, you, you guys are just troublemakers, constant uh, issues with drug addiction and, and violence and everything else going on in the home, pushed them to the edge of the village. They went through our 18-month intensive, and they came out the other end being the model family in that village where the headman now, if anybody's struggling with anything family-related, they send them to this family to get what they need. Wow. We've had families that um, have renovated a building right near theirs to make a shelter for families that are in crisis. They're putting Facebook posts, uh, Facebook uh, ads up in, in Thailand saying, if you have issues or struggles with your family, contact us. We want to help you in whatever way we can. Mm. Another family made a build a, a house of prayer or a prayer room because part of what we do is we teach them this culture of prayer and worship as well. And they wanted to replicate that. And so we love that because that's that whole catalyst raising up leaders it's it's in every every place we touch we want to see leaders come out of that that can take that content and the growth and the wholeness that they've experienced and begin to be those that release that into the lives of other people around them so um i mean story after story families broken kids in temples and children's homes and uh, places all over the country, and after the program, seeing them all back in the same home, all eight of them in one case, um, and you know the, the little daughter said uh, to one of our staff, "My mom and dad have a brand new marriage. It's like they're newlyweds." You know, they because we really focus on some of those marital relationships, parenting relationships, finances, uh, education for the kids, health and wholeness physically. Uh, so there's all these different aspects that we focus on in, during that 18 month period. Man, there's so much power in the family, right? Mm -hmm. There is. Wow. Wow. Yeah. What I know, um, when you're talking about the wounds that come with something traumatic like what you guys are in the middle of serving to and speaking into with human trafficking, that healing process can take time. Yeah. And it's not always like the quick fix, uh, awesome story that happens in, you know, six weeks. That's and, right. right? Um, but you guys have been serving for so long, and I know you've had a chance to catch a glimpse of, of the redemptive work that God's done yeah. over time. What's one person, one story that comes to your mind when you think of the, like, man, those things that we celebrate that God's allowed us to see, What what's one that comes to your mind? Yeah, Uh Man, you know, I think our staff are truly an inspiration to me because we all come with our own trauma. It doesn't really, and so the even our orientation process, which is pretty lengthy, day one, I don't know that there's ever you know a new a new staff member that's got dry eyes as they're beginning to encounter some of the way this affects their lives and what what God's calling them into in terms of healing and wholeness. 
So staff for sure, there's story after story with that. I want to be careful what I do share. But yeah. um, but I think just the process of showing up and being faithful and that consistency has proven itself to be uh, super valuable again and again. There was a, a case of a young young child, young girl, who was a, a survivor of trafficking who was in this very remote village that we had our restoration staff would go visit her on a weekly basis. And they, they would come back and say, you know, uh, we feel like we're taking, you know, one step, step forward, two steps backwards, and we can't figure out really what's going on here. I mean, they had, a, they had an inkling because the, 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 the little girl lived with her grandparents and her grandfather was a village witch doctor. And so they suspected this was a spiritual issue, um, but they weren't really sure how to get breakthrough. And he would always kind of hover around and watching what was going on, and and nobody really could figure out what was happening. He didn't really engage. And so they invited uh, the one of our staff members who, uh, our, our restoration staff invited Chu, who's our worship leader, our primary worship leader, really leads our upper room prayer, uh, prayer room ministry there. And uh, said, would you come along with us this trip and let's just worship uh, for a little while before we even begin. And as they began to worship, the grandfather's, you know, getting closer and closer. And he just, the tears begin to flow and he begins to weep and he shares with them. He says, I've been looking for peace my entire life. And I've never felt the peace that I feel, I felt ever since your staff have been, have been coming here. And so he was, he was being touched. He was hanging out not to be creepy, but because he was sensing and feeling something in his spirit mm. that he didn't know how to articulate or how to express. Mm. And so he gave his, his heart to Jesus that day, and we put him in touch with a local pastor, and they're discipling him. And the little girl's, uh, her healing process began to to take form and began to make forward progress. And so I think there's um, that that whole reality of the fact that we sometimes through our effort and our our good intentions, we want to be faithful to push through and make this thing happen and use all of the resources at our disposal, and we can forget uh, to invite Jesus into that situation. We can forget that really at the center of any of our callings is really his purposes. It's about advancing his kingdom. It's about giving him the glory and the honor, and that day he was he he received his glory. The kingdom was advanced, you know, wow. in a place that was filled with darkness. A, a witch doctor, you know. I mean, it's I I love that story. I just sometimes I I sit there and listen to our resilient families uh, uh, manager, and I go, really? That's really what happened. These stories are phenomenal. Partly because the concept of strong families, they don't have good models of that. We are founded in the West on Judeo Christian ethics. So a lot of these things make sense sort of naturally to us. Well, of course, you know, dad should hang out with their kids. And, but, but so, I mean, to some of them, that these are brand new concepts that they've never experienced before. So just something very little, little piece of advice, if they put it into practice, they see this massive impact from it. And so it's really exciting work because uh, the amount of effort that they're putting into it and the results that we're seeing are they they seem disconnected to me mm. sometimes, and I, I go and ask other people. They're like, "Yeah, come on, I, we want to invite you, Joel, to go talk to the to the families themselves and ask them the same questions. They'll they'll tell you the same things. We're not exaggerating here." 
Wow. That's amazing. That yeah. is amazing. We're talking to Joel Karam from Ezekiel Rain. Uh, I know this is a heartbeat passion that got stirred in you guys, so much so uh, that you were crazy enough to go on a 100-mile race, um, which a mile run for me <laughs> is enough to be like, all right, I need a break. I'm tired. Yeah, you'd probably take a few days off work afterwards. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Just kidding. A 100-mile, an endurance race like that is unbelievable tell tell us about like what happened how did this come about and why in the world would you do this yeah well i i remember the first time i heard of ultra marathons which is anything over a marathon distance and it's usually i think usually it's, it's on it's trail running so it's not on on blacktop or paved roads it's in trails on dirt and rocks and stuff and i heard of somebody a doctor who works in the trafficking community there in thailand who she was doing these 100, 100 kilometer runs. And I thought, that's crazy. I will. I remember literally saying out loud to my co-founder, Kelly, I said, I will never, ever, you will never catch me doing that. <laughs> <laughs> that was your mistake. Right, was my God mistake. was right. That God, God Game loves on. it when we say never. <laughs> right, I got you. Yeah. And so, um, but then there was a, I know, a guy from, actually he's a JBU grad who's moved over there now. Who, uh, um, Vic, uh, sorry, boy, I'm... <laughs> Yeah, you're fine. Uh, Martinez, Hector Martinez. Sorry, uh, and he was—he's just into ultra running, and we just started doing stuff together. And I loved his passion, and I was like, "This is kind of cool and extreme," and I kind of like extreme. Um, and so I just started doing it. And Kelly one day just said, "Hey, why don't you think about doing this as a fundraiser for Ezekiel Rain?" And so. Um, I just started increasing my distance a little bit by a little bit. And then I think maybe six years ago was the first time we did it uh, and just kind of steadily increased our distances and went with more crazy terrain. And it's a, it's a beautiful experience now. It's, it's awful and wonderful. And it's, you know, all, all in the same, all at the same time, you experience a lot of ups and downs in the, in the course of a 100 mile, yeah, 100 mile race. So. How so many? did you ever like just stop and rest on the side of the road and like have a snack? Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Lots of times. That's all I would think about. <laughs> yeah. Like I would Getting have all the, the snack. snack stops mapped out yeah. on that hundred mile. Yeah. Yeah. They do. They have the, the, all the aid stations. <laughs> it would take are the me snack like stops. five years yeah. Yeah. To, to complete how many, it. How many hours this from last, beginning to end? Yeah. This last one. So uh, this last one was a hundred miles and it had a 48 hour cutoff. And so, oh but my the, cut, the cutoffs are actually at different all along the way. So you got to keep moving at a pretty fast clip in order to be able to make sure you're oh. ahead of it. Um, wow. And uh, so 48 hours, I think we did it in 44. My goal is never to place. It's just just to finish. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's incredible. That is unreal. Well, there are a lot of ways people can get involved with what you guys are doing. Yeah. You could run a hundred mile race. Um, not all of us would even dream of doing that. Yeah. yeah. But um, but there are ways that people can get involved and find out more about you guys, yeah. get involved financially. What's the best way to reach out and find you guys online, I'm assuming? Online, uh, EzekielRain.com. And uh, we have, you can sign up for our newsletter there. Uh, there's a, a, an events calendar that you can see when we're having quarterly calls. We're having, uh, we have events here uh, at times here in Northwest Arkansas. Uh, but mainly, I would say sign up for our newsletter, check out our website. It's pretty It'll give you quite a bit of information about who we are uh, and pray for us. That's a big deal. We really believe in the power of prayer. It changes things that we simply can't. And so uh, 
you know, we don't say that flippantly, pray for us. We really believe that the prayers of the saints, the, the, the fervent prayers of his saints, that, that really makes a difference all the way around the world. Mm-hmm. And so, um, but I think sign up for our newsletter so you can find out what's going on. We have this quarterly Zoom call uh, that's really just so that people, uh, supporters, whether you follow us, pray for us, financially give to us, regardless can find out and can hear a little bit from the front lines. So our Thai staff usually join us and they'll probably speak in Thai and I'll translate for them. Um, um, but that way people can hear directly from people that are on the front lines. We, yeah. think, we think that's really important. So, that's awesome. so growing up in Thailand, yeah. so obviously you're fluent in Thai. Yeah. So I just was wondering if you could say a little something oh, sure. in Thai, like maybe yeah. like, hey, at the end of the hundred mile is some cheese dip. Uh, <laughs> can you say that in Thai? How about if I say a, a Thai thing that people would... Would love to eat at the end of a hundred mile cheese dip. Okay. Cheese dip. I'm not really sure how cheese how dip is not the. Okay. Uh, it's not. It's not a staple there. Choice. Cheese dip. Okay. They would say, "Well, I'm not running it then." Oh yeah, wow! Man. Yeah. I would Christine be like kicked out of the, the village. List, never yeah. living in yeah. Thailand. Yeah. Sure. They would kick me out of the village in like one day. Yeah. Sure. So okay. I'll, yeah, I'll, go I'll, for I'll, it. I, I want to hear this. Okay. Tawing, ah, jon khao sen chai, jing jing, man jam mi som tam, hay kin duai na. Oh my goodness, he just converted to a Thai man. <laughs> he did, that's super impressive. That was unbelievable. So what is waiting at the end of the race? Sometimes it's this, it's this papaya, green papaya salad. Christy checked out at salad. <laughs> well, okay, Sa- salad is, it's, it's not healthy. Okay. okay. It's sweet and sour and uh, it's just, it's like, it's what it's a, it's a street food that people love there. Like okay. Okay. If, if you're going to say what's your weakness, they'd probably say you know one of them would be somtam. You know they they just love that. Okay. Yeah. That dish. So it's like the Thai cheese dip. Yeah. It's yeah. Like the Thai, Thai cheese dip. When, you, when you said cheese dip, my brain immediately <laughs> went to somtam. This, okay. this this dish that they eat. I I don't know why. It's just sort of wow. That is impressive though. I, is how you just literally I see white American male. Here and you just turn into a Thai man in 0.5 seconds. Yeah. That was incredible. Hey, uh, Joel, thanks for hanging out with us. Um, it's so fun to see some Northwest Arkansas families that God's replanted in Thailand. Um, and we're just proud of the faithfulness of you guys mm-hmm. to serve and such cool things that God's doing. So. Thank you so much. Absolutely. I appreciate the opportunity.